I am launching a new series today, and I'll just tell you up front that this series has uh, seven components to it, and I've actually wrestled with the idea, wrestled may be too strong of a word, but thought about preaching this same series from different texts for 49 straight weeks, and then maybe we'll get it, we'll start living it, and uh, it's kind of cycling through the seven things that I'm going to preach about in this series, And uh, but we haven't done that. I'm going to read a lengthy period of scripture here, but this series, you go ahead, yeah, thank you for being seated. This, this series is, as you can see, on this next slide about marks of a disciple and I'm going to give you seven marks of a disciple over the next seven weeks Lord willing and if something interrupts our series I will get back to it but the question I have before I read my text today and this is really the question that I will ask at the beginning of every one of these seven sermons and then I have a question that I will ask at the end of each of these sermons. But the question for you before I begin is this, how do you know if you are a true disciple? How do I know if I'm a true disciple? What does the Bible tell us about what it means to be a disciple? A lot of people talk about that, well I'm a disciple of Jesus or I'm a follower of Jesus. How do you know? Is there a way to know? And I'm going to give you seven marks of what it means to be a disciple over each of these next seven weeks. The text today is a lengthy one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have the app, you can follow along. You can follow along in your Bible, or you can just read, read it off the screen along with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, in the English Standard Version. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so today I'm going to preach that the first mark of being a disciple is that we are a member. That we are a member, specifically a member of the body. The human body is an amazing organism or it's an amazing thing. You can just take a, a simple Google search and find any number of extraordinary facts and interesting facts about the human body. Just this cursory look, this that, that when we're born we have 300 bones in our body. Infants have 300 bones, but by the time they are adult, there's only 206 bones because some of those have fused together and become one. Did you know this, that more than half of your bones, more than half of the 206 bones in your body are located in your hands, your wrists, your feet, and your ankles. Every second, your body produces 25 million new cells. That means in 15 seconds, you will have produced more cells than there are people in the United States. That's a lot of cells. It's why they say that every seven years, all of the cells in your body have reproduced themselves, which is why, if you've noticed, I, I, I noticed this growing up, things I did not like to eat as a child, when I got to be an adult, they, they just tasted better. That's because all the cells in my mouth had finally been rearranged a few times. Every seven years, all of the, the cells in your taste buds change, and so your taste changes over time. Maybe when I grow up, I'll like coffee. I was talking to a couple of guys this morning. I can't stand coffee. I love the smell. I can't stand the taste. But when I, when I become a man, maybe I'll like coffee. The largest bone in the body is the femur. It's about 18 inches long. The smallest bone in the body is the stirrup bone, which is located in your inner ear. Super tiny bone. There is between 60,000 and 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. That's a lot of blood vessels. If they were taken out and laid end to end, they would be long enough to travel around the world at minimum three times around the earth. Every human body has that many blood vessels. Teeth are part of the skeletal system, but they're not really counted in the 206 bones and your brain is, which is an amazing thing, it counts for only 2% of our body mass. Yet, it uses 20% of the oxygen and the blood. Small, but uses all of these resources. Humans are not the fastest nor the strongest creatures that God has created, but here's an interesting fact that, that I don't ever want to put to the test. Humans can outrun for distance any other creature. That, in fact, Native Americans used to do this all the time. They would chase down horses on, on foot. They weren't fast enough to catch them, but they would continue to follow them on foot, and eventually the horse would tire out, and the human or the, the Native Americans could then capture the horses because they can outrun for distance any other of God's creation. 60% of the body is made up for, of water, and pound for pound, your bones are stronger than steel. A block of bone 
the size of a matchbook can support 18,000 pounds of weight. Amazing. That's just the tip of the iceberg about what God has created when He created our human bodies and all of the intricacies and how the systems work together, the cardiovascular system and the pulmonary system and all the different pieces and the central nervous system and the way that your brain transmits signals and the fact that the signals in your brain is over two, it goes to over 200 miles an hour, which means in the short distance it's going from your brain to any part of the part of your body, it's instantaneous. It's an amazing creation of God. And, and, and maybe it's because it's so amazing, that is why God uses the body as a metaphor of His church. To be sure, he uses other metaphors of, of the bride of Christ and, and a variety of different things, but, but the most often are, are the most detailed analysis of what it means to be a part of the church is he uses the metaphor of a body, that we are a body of believers, that the church is the body of Christ, that it is his body here on earth made up of millions of individuals, but it is yet one body. So today I, I want to walk through what this means. Specifically, what does it mean to be a member of the body? And, and how does God want us to respond? And how does God want us to live as members of the body? It's 1110. I'm going to try to get you out of here in a timely manner. And I would just tell you, as they say, when mo- preachers say that, it pretty much means nothing. But I'm going to do my best. But understand this, that membership in the body of Christ is required to be a disciple. And we're going to see that play out. If you have the app, you feel free to follow along. If you don't, hopefully I will be clear enough for you to do this. And I'm going to walk through these 15 verses that I read to you. I won't reread all of them, but I'm going to pull some truths and principles from them. And the first is, is this, that membership in the body of Christ is universal, yet it is also local. All right, look at your neighbor and make sure you're paying attention. Look at your neighbor. Say, universal yet local. All right, one more time. Say it loud. Universal yet local. So what does that mean? It means this, that all believers everywhere ultimately make up the body of Christ. That if I'm really a part of the body of Christ, if I'm really a disciple of Jesus Christ, that anybody anywhere else on this planet that is a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is part of his body. And Paul writes this and tells us this, is that just as we have one body and many members, and he goes through these various, these various uh, analogies, but ultimately he says this, it is by one spirit that we are baptized into one body. That God only has one spirit. That when you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that puts you in the body of Christ. That I don't receive a different spirit than you do. You don't receive a different spirit than somebody else in your family might. It is only one spirit. And because God is one and because he has one spirit, that when you receive the spirit, you are put into that one body. Ultimately, there is only one plan of salvation. When Peter asked that question on the day of Pentecost, when, it, when, when these, these uh, people who have crucified Jesus and they, they've experienced or saw what was taking place in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and Peter preaches to them, he gives them one plan. 
one way of salvation. Not 16 different ways of salvation, but he gives them one. And, and I would tell you that his answer to the question, if you've been here around here any length of time, you've heard me say all of this. This is nothing new. But the answer to that question could have been just about anything, if it were true. But he gives the one thing that is true, which is contrary to what many people in Christianity would tell you today. When they said, men and brethren, what must we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, or the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is how you are saved. And when you receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, that is the, the one Spirit that baptizes you into the one body of Christ. Regardless of ethnicity and regardless of socioeconomic status or position, there is one body of Christ. But what Paul is doing is he's writing to a, if I could say it this way, a local chapter of the body of Christ. You and I have this letter that was written to the church at Corinth, and he is telling them that you are part of the body of Christ. There's only one body. There's, only, there's, a, there's not a separate body of Christ in Corinth and Ephesus and all these various places, but there is a local grouping together of people who are baptized into the body of Christ. So it is both universal and yet it is local. And the remainder of what I'm going to tell you is going to focus really on what it means to be part of this local body. And it will become clear as you, pay, as you look at the Scripture that the care that we're supposed to have for one another. We can't have care for people we've never met. I can't have care for people who are in Africa. I can't rejoice with them because I don't know what's going on in their life. I can't weep with them who weep because I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know them. But I know you. And you know me. And that means that what we're talking about here is what does it mean to be part of the local body of Christ? That if you're a true disciple, you are part of his body, but you're not only part of that universal church, you're part of a local church. The second thing here is that membership in the body is not self-determined. Paul writes it this way, if the foot shall say, I'm not a hand, so therefore I'm not of the body, he said it doesn't make it any less a part of the body. That just because it says it's not doesn't mean that it is, it isn't. And he said, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not self-determined. Now let me clarify what I mean. It is an individual choice to become part of the body of Christ. But when you are part of the body of Christ, it is not a self-determination to say, well, you're part of that body and I'm part of this body and we're separate. Because I'm not like you or you're not like me. We're all part of the body of Christ. And so we, we get to work together. We get to be together. So it's not just self-determined. Ultimately it is this. It's that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a true disciple, you are in the body of Christ. And you can't just say you don't like the body of Christ. I happen to know some people who say they like Jesus, say they're following Jesus, they just don't like the people of Jesus. Anybody know anyone like that? 
Okay, me and Steve, all right. That they, they want to serve Jesus, they just don't want to be part of his body. They don't want to be part of a local expression of the body of Christ. They don't want to be in fellowship with his body. I, I would tell you this, and I, and I may be getting ahead of myself, but if you take your eye and you pluck it out, it doesn't survive. If you cut your ear off, it doesn't survive. You can cut a finger off, and if you get it on ice quick enough, or you get it in a certain environment quick enough, and you get it to the surgeon quick enough, they can reattach it. But it's got to be done in a pretty timely manner, and it's got to be done a certain way, and if you don't do it a certain way, guess what? It does not survive. That God has called us to be part of his body, and that means that if we don't stay connected to the body, we die. If we don't stay connected to what he has called us to be and called us to do, we die. And membership in the body of Christ is a requirement. It is a mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to be part of the body... I'm not sure that you can say that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, membership in the body requires diversity. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And ultimately, what, what is being pointed out here is that there are diversities of abilities and diversities of giftings. And not everybody is going to be the same. Not everybody's going to be the same ethnicity or socioeconomic background, and not everybody's going to have the same ability. But we all work together. We all work together in the body of Christ. I can't imagine losing one of my senses. I mean, I've been told I've been out of my mind. I've been told I didn't have any sense, but, but I really can't imagine losing one of my senses. Of course, during COVID, people lose, a lot of times they lose their taste or their smell and a variety of other things that people have experienced related to their, their senses. But I want my taste and my smell and my sight and touch I want it all. I don't want to lose one of them. And ultimately, when you're in the body of Christ, just because we're not the same or just because we're not alike doesn't mean we're any less a part of the body of Christ. Whether you can get up and speak or whether you can play an instrument or whether you can sing, whether you have the kind of personality that makes for a good greeter or you can serve coffee or whatever it happens to be and that's just it's kind of things we do on Sunday morning but your gift may have nothing to do with what you can volunteer to do on a Sunday morning but you have the gift of mercy and you have the gift of compassion and you have the gift of as Romans says the gift of helps and you come alongside people and you comfort them and you give peace that there are diversities of gifts within the body of Christ all manner of things that that we need in the body of Christ. 
we need diversity. If everybody was like me or everybody was like you, it would be not only a pretty boring place, but we wouldn't get much done. Not much would be accomplished. I am not the epitome of empathy. But there are people in this room that are very empathetic, and there are people in this room that are compassionate. There are people in this room that are great at showing mercy and and great at being an encouragement. And we need all of that in the body of Christ. Fourthly, membership in the body is divinely determined. It says, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. God chooses the who, the what, the when, the where, the how, and the why of the body and the makeup of the body and what you're good at and what you're not good at and all of the giftings that you may have, God is the one who determines all of that. Fifthly, and I'm going to hurry, membership in the body is not individually focused. If all were a single member, then where would the body be, he says. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And as I got ahead of myself a little bit earlier, we need, nobody is the body of Christ individually. We are the body of Christ corporately. We're just a member of the body, but we are not the body. And lastly, and this is the last six verses, that membership in the body requires interdependency. That means that we need each other. That we can't survive without each other. That we need one another to survive. That's what he says in verse 21. He reiterates in verse 22 that no one is indispensable, that everybody is important. Verses 23, 24, and 25, he reiterates this idea that not everybody's equal in the body of Christ. That there are some members of the body of Christ that don't have in and of themselves, they are not honorable. They're not the kind of thing that you would, or the kind of person you would want to honor. But then he says, but on those people, because we care for them, because they're members of the body of Christ, we bestow more honor on the people who don't deserve it or don't naturally have it. I'm not going to ask you to look around and try to pick out the least honorable person here. But whoever you think or whatever you think may not be the greatest, if you're part of the body and they're part of the body, that's the part of the body that you're going to protect. That's the part of the body you're going to look out for. That's the part of the body you're going to honor. Because just as you are part of the body, so are they, even if they don't have your gifts and your abilities. They don't have your socioeconomic background. They are just as much a part of the body. And what he says is is we are to have the same care one for another. There is a, a temptation in our, in our culture that was true of the first century. In fact, James talked about it whenever in his epistle that somebody who has a lot of money would come in and everybody would want to be around the people that had a lot of money. And they, they would say, this is, this is what he says, they would come in if they had money 
They say, oh, why, why don't you sit up here in this place of honor because you have money? And the person that doesn't have money will be like, well, let's, let's put you on the back row. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to do as members of the body of Christ. That it doesn't matter whether we have money or don't have money. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter anything about us if we're part of the body. Oh, you don't have money? Well, man, why don't you sit on the front row? That we bestow more honor on the ones who are considered least honorable or less honorable. That's the way it, what it means to be part of the body of Christ. That is how we're supposed to operate. I can see you guys so much better from down here. It's like looking into a freight train up there on the stage. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good. Now say it like you mean it. But we are supposed to have care one for another. Once again, I can't care for people that I don't know. If there are 100,000 people in Kansas City that are part of the body of Christ, I don't know 100,000 people. I can't care for them. I can't help them. But I know you. And you know the person sitting next to you. And when we come together as a local body of Christ, we care for one another. And we honor one another. And we love one another. And we do whatever we can to come alongside and be together. He closes with this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what am I ultimately saying to you today? You won't remember... Statistics say you won't remember more than 5% of what I just said. Because I said it, I might remember it 90% if I'm lucky. But here's the piece that I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, that a, the true mark of a disciple is that you are a member of of the body of Christ, both universally and in a local expression. That if you're really a member of His body, that you've experienced the salvation that we talked about, that Peter talked about in Acts 2. But in addition to that, you have joined yourself together with a local group of disciples. You are a member of His body, both universally and in a local expression. As the musicians come, when Peter gave that message in Acts chapter 2, that the day of Pentecost, as we refer to it, he said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Save yourselves from this evil and perverse generation. And, and then verse 42, 
It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. That immediately at the birth of the church, the birth of the universal church, they immediately began to get together as a local expression of that body. It's what they did. It's what we are to do. It's what you are doing here today. I told somebody before service uh, what I was preaching today, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be preaching this to the people that are here, the people that aren't here that need it. But the reality is that all of us need it. Because if we're not careful, church becomes just something we kind of do. Church is something we are at occasionally. And maybe if I could say it this way, and I'm still in this from somebody else, but church is an identity, not an activity. Church is not a place. This is a place where the church gathers. And what God has called us to do as His church is to gather together with a group of believers to worship Him, to edify one another, to be equipped to be the disciples that God has called us to. Way too many people, I, I, I was amazed at this when, when I moved to Olathe for us to plant Cross Church. I heard over and over this common theme and common thread. They didn't really say it this way, but it's what was implied is I met almost nobody who didn't like the idea of church. That going to church on Saturday or Sunday, man, that's awesome. That's great. Unless I have anything else in the world that I could possibly be doing that day. You're not like that because you're here today. But our world at large, and maybe Christianity at large, church or showing up at a corporate worship service is what they do when there's nothing else on their radar. They've gotten plenty of sleep. One of our young people got off at 3 o'clock in the morning last night from work. She's here today. 3 o'clock in the morning last night, I was staring at the ceiling. I get it but attending a worship service and worshiping Jesus together is what we do. It's not just what we do when we have nothing else on our calendar. It's not what we do when we get enough sleep, it's, but it's what it means to be part of the body of Christ, a local expression of that as we get together. It's Sunday, and because right now we're only having this service on Sunday, it's like family reunion. It's what it should be like, is that we gather together. We don't want to miss it. 
because I'm getting together with my brothers and sisters of Christ. I'm getting together with other members of the body of Christ and we're going to worship Him together. And we're going to learn of Him. And we're going to be equipped to go out and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand together? And as I, I mentioned, I, I can really, this is not exhaustive. I'm just looking at one text, which is why I could do seven series of seven and do 49 weeks on this. Actually, really more. It's just looking at one passage every week that talks about one of these seven marks. And, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to consistent connection with our local church beyond Sunday. That being a part of the body of Christ is not just about Sunday. Look back, look at your neighbor and tell them, say it like you mean it, it's not just about Sunday. Sunday is a part of it. But on Monday, if you have a problem, you can call me. You can talk to somebody else in the body and go, hey, can you help me? I've got something going on in my life. It's not just about Sunday. So commit to consistent connection beyond Sunday. Commit to caring for one another as fellow members of the body. Commit to the privileges and responsibilities of church membership. That word privileges there, you may be familiar. If you're old enough, I think it was American Express maybe back in the day. Membership has its privileges. Anybody remember that? Membership in the body of Christ does have privileges. We get to be connected with people that care for us. People that will rejoice with us. People that will weep with us, as King James says. People that will come alongside. But with everything I just said, those are all privileges, but they're also responsibilities. It's not just, I'm here for all the blessings we have a responsibility as the body of Christ to come alongside one another. So, Josh is going to put this up on the screen. This verse. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in faith examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost exhorts us to look within are we really in the faith? If I could turn that phrase just a little bit. 
Are you really a true disciple? Are you a member of his body, both universally and locally? I got to tell you, I, I think because of my history that if I wasn't pastoring a church that I would still stay connected to the body. I would still show up and I would still participate and I would still help out. But unfortunately... I know too many people who for years were in leadership in local churches and when they were no longer in leadership they just didn't show up. I don't want to just be here because I'm pastor. But I want to be here because we're the body of Christ and we need each other. If you want to take your level of commitment deeper, would you just close your eyes where you are? Would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to help you to be everything that He's called you to be beyond just Sunday, to be connected to the body, to come alongside those when, they, when they're hurting and help, to come alongside those in need and be there for them. Would you do that? Would you ask Him to give you a love one for another? That we want to love Him, that we want to love our neighbor, and that means first of all, those who are around us in His body. Lord, we want to be the members of Your body that You've called us to be. To take care of those who are in need. To, to come alongside those who have difficulty. For those, Lord, who may struggle, we want to be there for them. To lift them up and to encourage them, Lord, in Your Spirit and encourage them in Your Word and encourage them in living the Christian life and encourage them and help them to be all that they can be and all that you want them to be. Father, I pray that you give us a love one for another. Not just about what we can get out of a relationship, but give us a love one for another that we really care for one another. That we're really there for one another. Help us to care for each other like you would care for them and like you care for us. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. In the coming weeks, outside of this setting of Sunday morning, we'll be working on some more formal process of what it means to be a part of this local church. And you could, you could pick any local church that preaches truth and preaches the Bible. I get that. But I'm grateful that God has brought you here. He has brought us together. And this is only about half of our, if I could say, congregation of those who cycle through and are semi-regular attenders. But even that 55 to 60 people or so is far short of what God wants us to be and do. It is far short of the number of people God wants us to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help them become true disciples. So I would be remiss 
to end any sermon without giving you an evangelistic encouragement. If you go into the app and you look at the sermon notes, you'll see there are a few ways to put this into practice. The second one is this, to grow the body of Christ through evangelism and disciple making. And we'll talk about those toward the end of our seven marks of a disciple. Find somebody else you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this week so they too can become members of the one body of Christ and spend an eternity with Him. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this week. Greet five or six or ten or fifteen people. Spend some time fellowshipping with one another. Thank you so much. God bless you.